0: Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your mercies to us. We'd ask that you'd be merciful to us this morning. We look at your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I, I looked at this passage and I said, Evan, if you do that, you're going to blow it up. Not in a good sense. I just want to forewarn you. Down low in the passage is Timothy 1 or 2. I let a woman learn in silence with all submissiveness. So that's coming way down the page. I looked at it and I said Evan you haven't taught this in many years out of fear probably of having the pulpit stormed by angry women wielding sharp stiletto heels <laughs> and uh, saying St. Paul what was bad things about St. Paul but I said to myself uh, there's got to be a way I can get around this right there's got to be you know every modern pastor spends his days probably that's why they prepare sermons over whole weeks they're getting around the passage right how to say what it doesn't say how to give to you what kind of religion you would like to get now You know me well, oh, by the way, this has nothing to do with anything, Uh, pen.com, which buys addresses of institutions like the Big House Society, sends you a free pen with your name on it, Big House Society, Inc. No pun intended, it's a pen. Uh, Our address, our phone number, and then if you're ever looking for spiritual edification, because they knew we were a religious institution, they put religious words on the background. Faith, fellowship, prayer, family. Peace, hope, community, praise, and love. And for a few of those, I will never order a pen from these people, but I got a free one. Not a guide to your Christian walk. Okay, somewhere we're going back to a sermon, right? It's it's not getting shorter. This is a small church, you know that. And if it weren't for Erica, we'd be smaller still. The summer would have landed on us, and there's probably still a few hangers on. There was a wedding of a friend at NSA, uh, Josiah Roberts. uh, uh, Got married this last, well, yesterday. And so people then will be moving on, or people will be leaving town. And then maybe we we'll collect a few in the fall. But we're a small church, even in best of times. And I think that it's incumbent upon a pastor of a small church to come up with a spiritual reason why it's small. Okay? Because that's what you do. You, you have the smallite doctrine. A, uh, and the first passage here on the right-hand side, Matthew 7. Look at what's this. I'm going to back this up. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate, this is Jesus speaking, so no, no back chat. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life. And those that, who find it are few. Which is a great verse for all small smallite doctrines. Because you have a small doctrine, whether it's some sort of, you know, separatist Amish group or a fundamentalist, uh, you know, five people meeting in a garage someplace calling it a church, or you know, 40 people meeting in a steepled building that never seems to shift in the level of attendance. So you want to have a small light doctrine. And you say, "Yeah, we're the narrow gate. We're the, we're the few, the proud, the Marines." Very few people can qualify to be tall souls, parishioners. It was hard to get in, right? The examinations. You guys all took the examinations, right? Pastor's sons were in automatically. (laughs) Now, we know that there is a excuse making someone wants to make it look like whatever it is you're doing because as soon as this church got to be a big church you wouldn't hear much of the small light doctrine from evan anymore well, you you feel that kind of insincere that kind of lacking of integrity pastors are just notable for that ability to make uh, or try to speak nobly of whatever it is they're doing But even if that passage doesn't apply to all souls, it applies to something. Jesus said it. And I want you to think of that phrase. It's only that one or two verses there. That he describes the way to life as narrow, hard, and found by very few. Compared to the rest of the world. Compared to the way to destruction. Everybody goes there. Very few find the way to life. Now, the reason I am mentioning this is because we're going to be talking about First Timothy, end of chapter uh, 1, and chapter, all of chapter 2, which has some dicey portions in it. And I want you to be hearing not your argument against St. Paul when we get to the dicey portions, but what that argument is based on too many Christians or just like a small groups can go, oh yeah, we're the narrow way. The rest of the church is in some sort of convinced state that the narrow way, Jesus was flat out wrong. And they're going to measure everything they want, everything they think they need to get out of God and the uh, church in terms of market share. Nothing could be worse than not being included in the cool kids club. Nothing could be worse than not being viewed as a going movement. And I think there's a reason for it. I I want you to settle this pre-question first. Is your faith tied to quantities? Have you ever realized how different your economic measure is, say, than someone from Sudan. And you realize that when you're complaining about, what's, I don't know, I don't have a smartphone. What's the number it's at now? It's iPhone seven? seven? Okay, what was before that? Because I know they don't follow like King Alfred's rules for numbering. 6S or something. And you're sitting there in bootsers with your 6 out and you know that every girl is noticing it's not a 7. And you say, this is persecution. This is what persecution is like. This is what, this is what they live like in the Sudan. <laughs> Having last year's iPhone. You don't want to take pictures anymore because you've got to hold it up for everybody to see. You know. And then you stop, you say, you know, whatever it is you make, and I don't know what it is you make, and you find out that they're making $6 a year. And happy with it. Be you to realize that sometimes We need to be surrounded by the thing to constantly you know, beat us into a, uh, some state of submission, that I need to have dollars of my income hitting me from all angles. I need to be thinking about my 401k, my salary, my time off, my benefits. We're thinking about that in order to convince me I'm rich. And the same is true when you walk into a ministry this is the problem our church has always had, and probably why it doesn't get people to come back, is the guest shows up on time, and they come in and sit alone in a pew, in a alone in a room, no one is here, and finally people finally show up by a half hour later. So they get this impression that that they're not being surrounded by the convincing element of quantities. I don't, maybe you want to be cool, maybe you want to be trendy, maybe you want, to be, you want to have faith and you just can't believe in a religion that only 12 of you believe in, in the world? Do you realize at one point it was only 12? Maybe 11? Okay, there was a few other disciples. In the world, there was 120 persons. who knew Jesus Christ. Are you ready to set aside whatever your reason for needing a lot of people in Christianity? We're not winning. The Muslims are going to win. The Mormons are going to win. Our Lord said those that find it are few. Accept it and find out that what you're experiencing is it the Have you found the narrow way? That's what should concern you, is not how wrong Jesus is, but whether you're one of the few that found the narrow way. It might not be at all souls. So bear that in mind, because when we get to the difficult passages, you want to say, Oh, no one's going to be attracted to your church telling women to shut the heck up because that's, that's how it reads in the original Greek I think. shut the heck Timothy 1.12 I thank him who has given me strength for this Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful by appointing me to his service though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted him but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a a great follow-on of David's scripture reading, where he has Saul standing there in the background collecting coats, and then going on a rampage against the church. Here's Paul himself reflecting on those moments, and saying, this this religion, this sect, this small group, that they actually thought, and maybe thought legitimately, could possibly be stamped out by enough killing. I mean, think of it. You know, some say, wacky religious group out in Boville. 120 people, maybe 3,000 people. Strange group, a lot of guns. But, good it's Boville. You say, you know, we get the, the feds together, we can crush them. One of those mother of all bombs dropped on Mo, on Boville. Take out the group, no more of that pro, religious problem anymore. That's, I mean, that was a legitimate answer for Paul. I'm going to kill them all. I like the phrase in the King James where it says he was breathing threats of slaughter. Reflecting on that, he said, I was, I was interrupted by the grace of God. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost of sinners. Now, as you march through this text, because you're trying to find out if the narrow way, the few that find Jesus Christ in life are you one of them? You want to say, was Paul one of them? I mean really, I mean, Paul was not one of the twelve. He was picked later on by Jesus, and you have to decide, do you believe he was picked later on by Jesus? Are you Petrine? Are you Hanin? Or are you, you know, do you include Paul? Because Paul is saying this. The saying is sure. Full acceptance. This is something, you're walking along a path, you're looking for the narrow way. Okay, I've got to accept this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's, well, if you wanted to say one thing about Jesus Christ, if you were grabbed on the street by the authorities and they said, what do you say about Jesus Christ? Well, sir, he came to save sinners. And I'm one of them. Paul said, I am the foremost of sinners. That's what, one aspect of what this narrow thing is. It doesn't, it it, it is able to say absolutes, full accepted, fully accepted absolutes. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, he's not just saying, this is my personal search for the narrow way, but I'm sort of an exemplar on the narrow way to show how good this grace is. I could take a guy who breathes threats and slaughter about Christians, marching around Palestine, killing them and arresting them, save his sorry rear end, and out of that grace be an example to everyone who would believe. The way that leads to life, back in the Matthew passage, the narrowness and the hardness, and even the fewness, if that's a word, is rooted in this grace. You know, it, we are talking about a friend, uh, people we know, a person we know, who decided to become a certain religious persuasion, and he had said that well, he really enjoyed the people. What was the phrase, Leslie? Um, and, and, and really enjoyed the people. and, and uh, It was like joining the Kiwanis. Really liked the people. Which is, you say, that's not a very narrow way. That's a very broad way. Everyone likes nice people, right? If you found a group that met regularly that was filled with nice people... Yeah, happy with that. One of the things that narrows the Christian faith down is uh, you have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You say, saved from what, oh, pastor? Well, pastor says, your sins. Because he's going to destroy you. Otherwise, take that as you will. And as Paul takes it, writing a personal letter to Timothy, he says to the king of kings, the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He has only gotten 17 verses into the first chapter. And he's already, he, he's already giving a benediction. He's already he's overwhelmed by the nature of this small thing. It's the biggest small thing ever. It's only small in the minds of those who don't believe. It's only only a matter of quantities of souls. I was thinking about this as a side thing. You know, back in the days when infant mortality was huge, uh, a lot of babies died. And uh, you wonder if in glory, the people who actually lived the life and became a Christian, it's going to be this small minority of souls, because just about everybody in heaven is a baby who didn't make it, you know, is just thinking. And we, could, we could just be, oh, you're kind of odd, you lived a life, you sinned, just a few times. Well, Paul realizes what this religion i wanted to include that passage before i got into i was going to start with verse one of chapter two i said uh, paul's attitude about himself paul's attitude about the faith what it is you need to have you need to understand what christianity is claiming it's not claiming to be a movement that's going to sweep the world and if you're out there waiting for it to become a movement to sweep the world so you can join and you can believe because enough people are believing in him, so you feel reassured, believe or don't. But it, it ain't faith if you don't believe, if you're the only person. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a little disturbing. But he's still the king of ages, still immortal, invisible, the only God. And to him be honor, glory, forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophetic utterances which pointed to you, that inspired by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So, if Paul is saying, the centerpiece of this in me, if the life that Jesus Christ spoke of as finding by the few, is this centerpiece of grace to him in his sins. It is the thing that just fills his windshield. He wants Paul, or Paul wants Timothy, excuse me, to echo that in his life. I quoted it last week, and I preached out a later part of 1 Timothy last week, and referred back to this verse in 1 Timothy 1 where it says in verse 4, nor occupy themselves with, he said, I left you here, Timothy, in Ephesus, that you would keep them from doing this. Occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogy, which promotes speculations rather than divine training, that is in faith. Whereas the aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what he, you know. That's what he taxed Christianity to the wall in simple titles. The equation of good conscience, sincere faith, pure heart, issuing love in your life. If you don't have that kind of Christianity, if you're not, if you did not find a group that made you pure, good, sincere, and loving. You're in the wrong small group. There's a lot of small groups. We're trying to find the small group that is Christianity. And he reminds him here in verse 19 that inspired by them you may wage the good warfare. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting conscience, certain persons have made shipwreck of their faith. This is a concern because people are running around looking for a big group, something with success written all over it. And the success they're looking for is not a sincere faith, a good conscience, and a pure heart, creating love in you. That's not the success. The success is how many the pews are filled, whether the programs are good. Some of them, by rejecting these, have made a shipwreck of their faith if you don't find the right faith the right way, if you do not find the eternal life, as God has measured it, as St. Paul expressed it, shipwreck is a good way to describe what happens. And have you ever been disillusioned as you've walked that road, the broad and easy road? You could go to any town and, and find a a big church to go to. And I don't have any problem with a big church. If God is working to create good consciences, sincere faith, pure hearts, and love in those people by the grace of God, God bless them. The church in Jerusalem after Pentecost went through a massive bit of growth. But the rules are simple. I don't measure it by its size. I measure it by its results. The shipwreck happened to Hymenaeus, verse 20, and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We don't know much about their sin. But delivered to Satan by an apostle, after having shipwrecked their faith, we have encountered Every so often, usually keep an even pace with political scandal, church scandal. The politicians are constantly being found in some stripper's motel room, and tragically so is a conservative pastor being found in a stripper's motel room. Every so often, about the same pace. Or some church goes up in flames because it's filled with rotten people. Not people t- changed from sin to righteousness. Not people who have found a faith and a conscience and a heart expressing love. So we know that shipwrecks are happening out there all the time. And shipwrecks happen in small groups too. I mean, if we, if we stick around afterwards, we could try to shipwreck this thing. I'm willing to throw the first punch. What, what, what is it going to take? But somewhere there is the path. It may be narrow. It may be hard. Very few people may find it. But at the end of it is eternal life. First of all, verse 1. This is where I was thinking... Now, in this passage, the passage that I was really after, first I get to sound like a hippie. And then I get to sound like I'm advocating for a handmaid's tale, you know, the kind of, all the women shuffling along with big bonnets, heads down, staring at the ground. But the first part, I get to sound like I had a coexist bumper sticker on my car, and I don't. This charge I commit to you. Oh, excuse me, verse one. First of all then, you're getting down to business. I keep switching back there. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. That's a good list. Because that covers all the kinds of prayer. Remember that sweet hour of prayer you committed yourself to during the hymns? This can fill it up. You've got supplications to cover. Prayers, just regular requests. That prayer just means request. Intercessions, that means standing between you're interceding between one and another. Thanksgivings, you know what those are. Thank you. For the food. For all men. First of all. For kings and all who are in high positions. It's almost like Paul doesn't care how the powers of the world what they're up to, I mean up to in a sense. Like if the non-believers out there fighting over Washington DC or doing whatever they want, Paul doesn't seem to think that really other than interceding and thanking God for them and praying for them and Supplicating for all men, everyone, not just the believers not Aunt Betty who has pneumonia, just but people who differ with you in the political sphere you thank God you supplicate for them, you intercede for them because the king here is Nero that's who the king is Paul's on his knees in his sweet hour of prayer interceding for Nero thanking God making supplications appealing to that man I'll let him decide my fate he said in Caesarea I'll check in with Caesar what was the name of the guy that headed the inquisition Torquemada remember that back in the good old days we got to torture people It's like appealing to Torquemada for, I'll let him decide. I'll go with whatever he says. There's something going on with Christianity on the pages of the Bible that isn't what has been going on for a couple thousand years. Some of it has been going on. Some things we get right one century, another thing we get right another century. But it says... The reason we supplicate, the reason we intercede for all men, especially those who are in power, is that we may lead quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. What's your target? Some sort of machismo for the males of your congregation so they can lean into the society and show that there are warriors for Jesus and... We want to go on a march. Start end up looking like those women on the women's march. You know, just, the Christians can look just as silly. And why are we doing it? Well, for are you trying to live quiet and peaceful lives, godly and respectful in every way? And are your intercessions and your prayers serving that about the kings? that are wicked beyond belief. I I don't know what your view is of Washington, D.C. I do not have a very high one. But I'm told, standing next to Timothy, I'm here looking over his shoulder as he gets this letter from Paul, telling him to pray in every sort of way, with thanksgiving for those in authority, and all men, because the task we're at is to find a quiet and peaceful life. That we walk through this world with godliness and respect. We recognize the proprieties of life. It sounds like a tolerance sort of, that's why I said it was like coexistence. You know, just you know, it definitely matter. Just pray for. I know you might not have voted for Obama. But let's pray for him now. And I could know Christians are going, what? Ain't no, he's not the president anymore. I don't know if you do that. But now certain people feel the same way about Trump. Let's pray for Trump. Donald Trump, Esquire. Let's pray, let's pray for him now. People are going, ah, oh, no. Not praying for that man. I'll pray for Nero, Hitler, not Donald Trump. I don't know what your politics are, nor do I care. I want you to care about a quiet peaceable life that's godly, that respects those in power. And the problem is, once we take onto our plate that we're supposed to be succeeding more than in godliness and quiet and peaceableness, we look at these guys in power who aren't deciding the way I want them to decide, and I need to be in power. Or someone who thinks like me needs to be in power. So we're going to devote ourselves and the church's efforts to making sure that either a liberal or a conservative candidate gets elected go darn it, because the only thing that really matters is the world being shaped the way I want it shaped but Jesus says, that's not in the cards your faith is, is one for narrow doors and narrow people who are looking around for the hint as to where God is and what does he want me to be and what has he provided to me to make me that his grace and even though you belong to a small, small group on the shores of the Mediterranean, a few people in every port city and a couple towns, and, and you're an you're a, a apostle of this guy and you're going to get killed in a few years for being this, you're still saying to the king of ages, immortal, invisible to the only God. Now when it tells us do this, he says, first of all, do this for this reason, and then he tells you, in case you're wondering, this is good. This is what goodness is. It is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. St. Paul, writing to, if you want to call him, St. Timothy, an apostolic delegate in Ephesus, passing on to the saints, he tells them later that that I'm ready these things that you know how you function in the household of faith. I want you to know this is good. This is what God accepts. If we hadn't read the Matthew passage, we would have th- thought that Christianity was about winning market share. Um, power, and we end up putting together institutions that we think will run that power efficiently. The power of the Holy Spirit in the individual, we say, no, 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 no. I, I don't know who said it. That somebody said it would. If the Holy Spirit was taken up from the earth, 99 percent of church activity would still go on, because none of it is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Ought that be? We're, we're like... No, again, I don't know how many of you are on the liberal side of the line, but let's just say liberals know squat about economics. And they think a planned economy is something that will work. Planned economies don't work. This is what these Christians are thinking. They think, okay, okay, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you've done a lot, thank you very much, have a seat. We've got this. We're going to plan how God is, is going to be honored in this world. And they just run it into the wall. You can't plan things that are happening naturally because of repentance and the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can't plan that. You can't make that happen to your kids by sending them to a Christian school. You can't ha- help them by sending them, I don't know, to a youth group or a WANA. You can't catechize them into godliness. You can't do that to your church until people say, I'm not here at the church to be graced. I am here because I'm graced. Because you were stopped on the road to Damascus after you were breathing threats and slaughter, wandering about Shaking your fist at heaven, and the God of grace convicted you of your sins and you repented. And now you want to go be with people who repented. You want to be encouraged by them. He says, It's not quite liberal. I want you to be praying for the quiet and peaceable life, but not in a liberal agenda that says, We want to believe what the world believes about things. Because he says, the reason it is good, the reason it's acceptable, is because God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We're not here in the world to say all views are correct. We're not here, you'll find your own, you know, bliss. God wants them to be saved. God wants them to know the truth. He wants those few people in that small religion, ancient Near Eastern followers of a carpenter, who got it figured out, forgiven by God because of his death and resurrection, he wants you to be carrying that message around so that they might be saved, so they would come to a knowledge of the truth. He says, he says this is, again, this is why it's not a, a liberal phrase, there is one God, verse 5, And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony to which was born at the proper time. He just sort of sums up, he hits you with the gospel, he says this is what it is. Just like I said back in verse 15, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the foremost of sinners. This is what it's about. There is one God, and God has sent a mediator, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And for this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. We uh, are handed truth, which means... Not the silliness that there's all sorts of truths. You'll get to... Why why does the postmodern notion even begin to make sense to people? Because nobody... Everybody wants to feel... Remember, we're desperately... Do you want to be in a group that somehow the phenomena of being in the group makes me feel like I'm right? And if somebody from outside the group questions me, I don't want to have to do any hard work about I want him to just say, well that's true for you. We are such we want, well, I guess the word is babies babies about it, that we want to have confidence given to us, kind of like when you got the participation ribbon. Eventually you begin to realize that you're not worth squat with a participation ribbon You didn't do anything, you didn't get anything right, they were just concerned about your feelings, and then you start to get angry in circumstances because you see people who seem to be confident and seem to be right, and seem to follow something. Even if it's not Christianity, they follow something. The US military services, or the Boy Scouts, or Christianity. Confidence, because they're resting in something that they can hold up to your view and go, Yeah, this is right because of this. And your position is what? And why is that right? Well, you're supposed to just grant me rightness. Not all truth claims are valid, says St. Paul. There is one God, and the man Christ Jesus, who is our mediator between God and man. So in verse 8, I desire them. I put that in red as kind of a way out, you know. And a little bit later, I say I permit when it says I permit no woman to teach. I desire that in every place. Someone's going to come in here and say, "Oh, see, uh, it's just Paul's opinion. He desires, he permits." I think we should do it differently nowadays. Good for you. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling right there right then the smallness of the faith is revealed. Not because it said the man. What are you trying to say? Don't the women? Can't pray? Don't Don't focus on the wrong thing. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling There's something about the real faith, the sought-out door, that brought you to your knees before the risen Lord and got you forgiven for your sins and filled you with the Holy Spirit so that you would be loving, joyful, peaceful, peace, etc. There's something about that narrow place that very few people you have met are truly changed. I was reading something from somebody posted on Facebook. William Lane Craig is usually brighter than this, but it supposedly came from something He published where it said there was a Christian where it was a 1 to 7 ratio, Christian and non-Christian. And the same week, I had an email from a friend in Seattle, Patrick Orr. He said, in 10 years, I have met two, maybe three Christians, other than in church, but just on the street, someone who's a Christian. Holy hands, Christianity is small. And what do you do when you get to that holy hands place? Does your church design after the thirteenth genuflection the time for holy hands to be lifted? Whether the vicars, because I'm the vicar, the bishop raising holy hands, and then three hundred years from now the vicar still raising holy hands after the thirteenth genuflection. I did refer to the holy hand grenade of Antioch there in the notes. So, you know that I have read the classics. No, it's actually a measurement of your hands being holy. Not that they're lifted or not lifted. I know that you're kind of restrained, American, Anglo Saxon, you know, let's not have any emotion here. So, I don't ask for much. Lydia did raise her hand there, but that was well within the purview of, you know, white people from evangelical circles. Raise your holy hands. Oh, we'll have a way to check this, without anger or quarreling. (laughs) That's the history of the church, right there. Anger and quarreling. That's what we're good at. You know, I'm not a Calvinist, and I enjoy a debate with a Calvinist. But boy, that little discussion has not borne fruit for the kingdom. You wonder, what, what are we up to? Is that that's really more of a hobby. That's not Christianity. I don't have to convince them that they're wrong. They're still wrong. They don't have to convince me that I'm wrong. I'm still wrong. Whatever the situation. We're supposed to do it without anger or quarreling. How would you... How are you going to do that? What's, what's, got, to be, what's got to be happening in you as a man... That what you bring to church is such a kindness and such a love that even when you disagreed with everything the pastor said this morning, which is possible given this passage, you still care for me. And then it goes on to women. Because this is, this is all prep. It's not so I can have a chance to slap women around. Because the passage says, also women should adorn themselves modestly and sensibly and seemly apparel. Here we go. You can just picture the flower print dress at a modest length like a Christian woman should. A little black cap. Maybe a little white cap. Maybe the handmaid's bonnet. Women should adorn themselves modestly and sensibly. And then it gives a list. Not with braided hair. Just a second. Let me check. Trying to spot a braid here somewhere. Ah, Sierra, I knew it'd be you. <laughs> She's so rebellious. You should right now. You should smack some gum and light up a cigarette. That would be great. Or gold. <laughs> All of you who I did more braids in my hair today, like Sierra. But every one of you are wishing these brass earrings were gold. But. You got gold, ladies. You got some gold. I bet you you do. Or pearls. My wife, the bishop's wife, came with real ones or fake ones? Real pearls, because health and wealth. All well, that. Um, what else? What is else is banned? Or costly attire. What's the most expensive outfit we have here this morning? Isn't that, should we ask that like on Mother's Day I grew up in churches where they always say who's the oldest mother here <laughs> and like some poor woman you know has to stand up I am the oldest person <laughs> and the woman has to say yes I have the most expensive outfit on thank you I am the most disobedient I challenge Sierra to the title to why am I making fun of this Paul just said this. Now you don't have to pay attention to it because I haven't made fun of it. Right? Is that what we're supposed to do? Find our way around what Paul's up to? One thing my father always taught me is you're not supposed to be thinking of ways it doesn't apply, but thinking of ways it does apply. Do you want to be like what the apostle recommends? Do you like to be what Christ recommends, or do you want to find ways not to have to do what he says? And is it just the ludicrousness of this? Actually, the passage doesn't say what I was suggesting. I stopped halfway through. When it says the women should learn modestly and sensibly and seemly apparel, if some rat bastard of a husband who liked to have his handmaids lined up in a row, dressed like, you know, Stepford wives, or dressed like, you know, really shy and retiring people never and he has them just right, and the, and the patterns all came from the same bolt of cloth. He's just as immodest, or he's making his women be just as immodest, as the woman with the expensive clothes. You're not supposed to be, when it lists the clothes, it's not listing bad ones. It's not like braided hair is somehow, hey, braids. The issue is, not with visual modesty, you idiot. You see, when I sang be modest, sensible, apparel, I don't mean clothes. Got it? I don't mean jewelry. I don't mean, not I don't want you to have jewelry, not I don't want you to have braids, But I don't want you to be thinking, and if you go home and think, well, modest women should dress like, you know, perry muffins. It says, they should adorn themselves in seemly apparel, not with clothes, but, verse 10, by good deeds, as befits women who profess religion, because our religion called Christianity is not about what kind of culture you have. We had a recent hubbub about controlling culture and choices in the church, whether it's legalism or whether it's just the impact of two different worlds, two different generations. Um, And I'm not ready for what what the young generation are gonna come up with, because, you know, we all know, I was an idiot when I was young, you're an idiot when you're young. It changes things. But that's not what the faith is about. The faith is about good deeds, because that's what women who profess religion would be. Do you measure Christianity in terms of the goodness? Just like the men. Not whether you lifted holy hands that was called that after the 13th genuflection but whether or not your hands are holy and you can go into church without anger or quarreling. Can the women actually say, you know I know you'd never let your daughter dress like this but I'm a real servant of the church. Can you say, I am someone who has sought God and his goodness. And yes, it's going to affect your attire. Yes, you're going to think twice about putting some things on. And that's what befits them. But then it says, let a woman learn in silence with all submissiveness. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over men. She is to keep silent. Possibly both of those passages are about the teaching aspect. Now, I want to tell you one thing. It's not cultural for Paul. Even if it were, he is saying, I don't allow this. And you say, but I I, I want to have women pastors. Good for you. Form form your own religion. Measure your godliness against St. Paul's godliness. Measure your visions of Christ against Paul's visions of Christ. Happy to see whether or not you're good in the end. I want to be belonging to the religion that St. Paul represented, the Holy Spirit in him and goodness, and what he reflected of Jesus Christ. And if it means I've got to accept something entirely unacceptable to the society at large, fine, I'm not about size of interest. I'm about finding the truth. Paul gives, for Adam was formed first, and then Eve, kind of outside of his cultural mix. Adam was, oh, I don't know, 4,000 years prior to Paul. So, he's not referring to, you know, because I saw some women at Safeway, and they were talking, and I don't like that. No, he said, this is the way the world is. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Paul says the order of creation and the order of sin has an effect on this decision regarding women teaching in the church. If you don't like it, and it's very possible that some of you don't, you say, I'm not going to object this sermon has gone on too long as it is. Especially when he pauses like that. But that's what It says, It's, uh, it's fine for me to have a small religion, not just because i a small church, but because theologically, the, my smallite theology is it was designed to be small. Because it's for those people who have sought God and want God more than they want to please the world, more than they want to please themselves. They want to please the living God. And if you don't like what St. Paul says, I would say, perhaps you shouldn't be in the Christian religion. Don't try to take all the words from the Christian religion and design a seminary that will teach you what exactly what you want to hear, that matches exactly what the world is suggesting today, so that no one will keep you out of the good clubs. You're about Jesus Christ or you're not. Now, It says, I have this Luke passage, and I'll close with that. This is an echo of the passage out of Matthew. He went his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That adds another little aspect to it. There will be people who seek to go in through the narrow door and won't have the bona fides. When once the householder has risen up and shut the door, you'll begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you. I do not know where you come from. And then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God at you yourselves thrust out. And men will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. You will be serving the God you adore. And the question is, is it you, or the society, or growth, or pride, or power, or is it the living God? And if it's the living God, you have to sometimes say, I might not be awarded, and most likely I won't be awarded with success. I might go to my death, having raised my family in Jesus Christ, I've had very little impact, had a job in North Idaho a little blip on the radar my life a vapor it says in James and I'm out but pleasing to God part of his kingdom because that's the nature of his kingdom he says Luke the kingdom of God is within you and it better be not some sort of squishy within you but it has to really be you your heart changed by the living God, by your repentance, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and nothing less. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You've been merciful to us. We'd ask that we would understand what you have truly said. We are happy to believe it. We're glad we found other people in this town to believe it too, that we could fellowship with, and all the different fellowships, Lord, Give us real encouragement. In your son's name, amen.